0: All right, we on here? Okay, well, if you turn your Bibles this evening to 1 Samuel chapter 14, and I love it when uh, the music and everything just goes along perfectly with what the message is, and uh, both the songs tonight uh, just align perfectly, and um, you say, well, what does that have to do with two men and one sword? Those songs have nothing to do with two men and one sword. Well, that's the title of tonight's message, Two Men And one sword, and it's, uh, if you would actually turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14, and I want to give you just a brief um, history of what's about to happen in chapter 14, Uh, and I'm going to pull this from chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 13, two men and a sword, Um, let's see here, just make sure we're clicked on that PowerPoint screen, okay, Um, in chapter 13 we see that uh, Saul, "...has just, well, been made king of Israel. By just, I mean it's two years now. He's been king of Israel for two years. The children of Israel decided they no longer wanted a prophet um, to to rule and to guide them, that they wanted a king like all of the rest of the lands around them. And so they bring King Saul in to rule the land. Samuel anoints him, and he's anointed uh, as king of Israel." Saul gathers an army together of 3,000 soldiers. And uh, what they're going to do is they're going to conquer the promised land, okay? They're going to continue to conquer the promised land. So in chapter 13, he gathers an army of 3,000 soldiers together uh, from the children of Israel to conquer the promised land. Saul takes 2,000 of those soldiers with him to the city of Michmash, I guess, (laughs) all right? And uh, his son, Jonathan, takes the remaining 1,000 soldiers to the city of Gibeah, where they would conquer a garrison of the Philistine army. And uh, what happened when, uh, when uh, Jonathan conquered that garrison, um, it was a victory of the Lord. There was no way around it. A thousand men conquering a garrison is highly unheard of. And, um, and so it was a victory of the Lord. But what happened was Saul took the credit for himself. And this kind of sets the tone for what Saul would would do even later on with David when uh, he got upset because David conquered so many in the songs in the street and Saul was jealous of what David um, would do. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13, I'm sure you probably can't read it there, 1 Samuel 13, 3 and 4 says, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear and all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines and so Saul was spreading around a rumor that he was the one that conquered the Philistine garrison, not his son Jonathan. Um, what happens, though, because of the conquer, uh, because uh, Jonathan conquered that Philistine garrison, um, the Philistine gathered themselves together to fight. All right. So now the Philistines are going to retaliate against the children of Israel because of um, them destroying that garrison. They gathered together 30,000 chariots. Now, remember, the army of Israel was how many? 3,000. Okay. They've gathered together 30,000 chariots. Now, a chariot in those days would have been like having, uh, let's see, an, an airplane in World War I. All right? It would have just dominated. And so the chariots were the tank of the day. And um, so they gathered together 30,000 chariots. On top of that, they gathered 6,000 horsemen. On top of that, they gathered an army that outnumbered the sands of the seashore. Okay? Now, remember, this army is coming against the children of Israel with their 3,000 man army, minus the men that were lost attacking the garrison. Saul's army is frightened. You can imagine the position they're in. This army of 36,000 heavily armored soldiers, plus the foot soldiers, are coming after them. His army is frightened and they begin to flee. All right? And the, the Bible says that um, they were smitten with fear. And, and the, the, the soldiers, the, the soldiers of Israel, began to hide in the caves and hide behind the rocks and in the hedges. All right, they were just looking for any place where they could get away from uh, the Philistine army. They knew there was no way they could fight them. They knew that there was no way they could win, so they, just, they were hiding in the cracks and the crevices, trying to escape. Saul begins to see that his army is, is scared. He sees that his army is running away. He sees that his army is uh, giving up hope. Uh, hope. He, he begins to panic uh, because his army is deserting him. They're afraid of, about what's about to happen. They're afraid that they're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And, and so Saul's in a position, what do I do? I, I, I've gathered this army together. I'm now, I'm now the new appointed leader of Israel. I've I'm, I'm only been king for two years. This is my first major battle. What do I do? My army is deserting me. I've got a, an army of incredible strength and, and magnitude coming against me. What do I do? And so Saul goes ahead and um, he offers a sacrifice to God. He goes to God looking for direction and, and a sacrifice, a a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. But that was not what Saul was supposed to do. A couple chapters earlier, Saul had been instructed that that was a job still reserved for Samuel to accomplish. Saul was not supposed to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to come to him. And uh, there was was a a a seven day period where where Saul knew that at the end of those seven days, Samuel was supposed to come to him. And um, as 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 Saul uh, was waiting there, he grew impatient. And so he offered up the sacrifice. And the Bible says that immediately after he offered up the sacrifice, that Samuel showed up. He wasn't supposed to have offered the sacrifice. Because of this, because that uh, Saul offered the sacrifice when he shouldn't have, that's the reason why Saul's children never became heirs to the throne. That's the reason why David was the next king of Israel, because of this disobedience right here in this chapter. And so we see once Samuel shows up, um, that he says, hey, Saul, what did you do? What are you doing here? And he even goes as far as to say that that was a foolish decision, Saul. That was foolish, and it's going to cost you, and your children will not be heirs to the throne. So then we see that Saul retreats. After this confrontation, after he disobeyed the Lord and um, offered up the sacrifice, he retreats um, from Gibeah to Gilgal, Uh, He recounts his army and realizes now he's down to 600 soldiers from 3,000, okay? And so imagine the the predicament now that the the children of Israel are in. Not only are they going against insurmountable odds, but there's only 600 of them. The Israelites are defeated without hope. Can you imagine where they're at right now? They went and they had one victory. They conquered a garrison. And then after that, a huge army comes against them. Their king disobeys the Lord, and the curse is placed on Israel the heir to the throne or his heritage. And now they're in a position of, what do we do? They're running to the rocks and the crevices and hiding behind bushes. There was nothing the Hebrew army could do. But then comes the two men. The two men. And if you would turn in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 1, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 1. It says, Now it came to pass upon a day... "...that Jonah, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor..." All right, so the two men are uh, Jonathan, I'm sorry, Jonah. Jonathan and his armor-bearer. "...Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison garrison that is on the other side." But he told not his father. "...And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in a migron, and the people that were with him were about six hundred men. And Ahiah, the son of Octob, Ichabod's brother the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozez, and the name of the other Sineh. The forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by man, or by, by many, or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, I will pass over unto these men, and we will we'll discover ourselves unto them. If they say unto us, Tarry until we come to you. Then we will stand still in our place, and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them unto our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines, and uh, the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer, and said, Come up to us. And we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. In this passage we see an amazing story of two men. Two men, one named Jonathan, the son of Saul, and his armor-bearer, a young would have been a younger boy, somebody not capable of war. And we see that these two men... Jonathan got in his mind that he was going to accomplish something not out of his own strength, but through the strength of the Lord. And where the army of Israel was defeated, and where the army of Israel felt that there was no point moving forward, here steps in Jonathan and says, you know what, God can accomplish something in this situation. Right what you see here is the Mount Bozes and Sine, All right, These are the two cliffs that the Bible is talking about here where it says that Joshua came up between the two cliffs, all right? And uh, what would have... The situation would have been the army of Israel, uh, of the Philistines would have been on that right cliff up on the edge, all right? They would have been up and camped along the edge. They had the high ground. They would have been able to see everything that was going on around them. And then we see that um, Joshua and his armor bearer come up the cliff and this... Oop, blacked it out there. This would have been the area where they would have revealed themselves to the Philistines, okay? And so... Uh, it's the Bible says here that what happened is Jonathan and his armor bearer went up and they had a pre-designated um, signal. If And it really was the only thing that you would think a prideful army against two men would have said. Do you think that they would have said, hang on, we're going to come down to you guys? We're going to climb down this cliff? And, and wait, wait a second there, we're going to come kill you? No, that's not what the, the, they would have said. But that was the pre-designed uh, you know, or pre-designated sign. They said, hey, if they say... Come on up to us. We'll show you a thing or two. And um, and that was what happened. They went and they, they stood in the bottom there. They revealed themselves to the Philistine army. And the Bible says that Jonathan and his armor bearer upon his hands and his knees crawled up this cliff. All right. They would have crawled up this cliff. And the amazing thing about this battle is this cliff, would this, this battle would take place. It's about to ensue between Jonathan, his armor bearer, and the children of, or the army of the Philistines, would take place on a piece of ground that was no wider than a furrow in a field. All right, the Bible says that this 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 battle would take place in in, in, a, in an area no wider than a furrow in a field, about a half an acre long. All right, and um, we'll we'll see that here in just a moment. This would is a picture of what the side of that cliff looks like. This is what they would have been climbing up on their hands and their knees. And Jonathan climbed upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew him. Jonathan got up to the top of this this ridge here, this ridge line. And uh, these two men got up there. And what happened is Jonathan grabbed the first man, threw him to the ground. And his armor bearer killed him. There was no room for two men to stand side by side and fight. And so Joshua or Jonathan was tossing one down. The armor bearer would finish him off. Jonathan would toss one down. The armor bearer would finish him off. And you just imagine they're walking down this ridge line, killing these soldiers. And uh, the Bible says just in this one this one battle at this moment that there would be 20 men that would die. All right, between Jonathan and his armor bearer. You think about it, this is an impossible task. Think about what Jonathan and his armor bearer are accomplishing. They they've they climbed up. They scaled a cliff. They've gone. Two men have gone after an army of 36,000 heavily armed soldiers plus innumerable foot soldiers. They climbed up a cliff and started attacking the enemy. I mean, this is better than anything you could ever get in Hollywood. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even dare touch this, okay? And these guys climb this cliff and, and soon they find themselves atop at the this cliff fighting. And you, and you can kind of see, now, this is not an accurate portrayal of what was in the situation. They were not that close to the enemy. But this kind of is. He's grabbing one man, tossing him down, and, and, uh, and the armor bearer is, is killing him. Two men and a sword. Two men and a sword. This is an amazing story. It really is. But as I was reading this, more than my amazement was the lessons that could be learned from it. Yes, I mean, it is just awesome to see how God worked. It's awesome to see the bravery of these two men. It's awesome to see the strength that they uh, went about, the task that was before them. But there are some very practical things that we can learn as Christians as well from this. And um, I want to just look at these few things this evening, and uh, hopefully we can be encouraged from the Word of God tonight. Let's bow in prayer before we get into the, the message this evening. Father, Lord, I do thank you for your Word, Lord, for its inexhaustible wisdom. Lord, for its, uh, its, its perfection. Lord, how you reveal to us exactly what we need, when we need it. Lord, and that it's a, it's a strength, it's a strong tower that we can run to in our time of need. Lord, we thank you for your word, that you preserved it for us. Lord, I just pray that as we hear from the word this evening, that you would open our hearts. Lord, that we would be Christians that are willing to follow after Christ no matter what the cost, no matter if it means sacrifice or self-denial. Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to follow after your example, to be a little Christian, to be a little Christ. I just pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross this evening, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would give me clarity of thought. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I looked in this passage, the first thing that stood out to me was what Saul did. You say, well, that's not even the amazing part. That was the stupid part. Saul offered up a sacrifice when he knew he shouldn't have done it. You know what? Though it just hit me kind of at home. I think that's why most of the time, making stupid decisions, stupid things are happening. And um, and I looked at in one Samuel chapter thirteen verse eleven. You turn there if you would this evening. One Samuel chapter thirteen verse eleven. You see, the Bible says, and Samuel said, "What hast thou done?" And Saul said, "Because I saw that the people were scattered from me." and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistine gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever we see that Saul made a decision here a decision that would not only cost him something but it would cost his family something it would cost specifically Jonathan something the man who is about to trust God with everything that he's got and perform an amazing uh, miracle the lesson we can learn from this is that we need to trust God's timing we need to trust God's timing. You see, Saul got into a place in his life where he said, I didn't know what to do. Samuel said, why did you do this? What hast thou done? And, 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 and Saul replies, I didn't know what to do. You didn't come at the days appointed. The, the Philistines were coming against me. I hadn't offered up supplication to the Lord. I didn't know what to do. And so he stepped out and made the decision because he was not willing to just wait just a little bit longer. We see in the story that if Saul had just waited just a short bit longer, that Samuel come walking up the road. Amen. But what happened is Saul jumped out ahead of God's plan. He jumped out ahead of God's schedule. Saul had been instructed to wait for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifice of the Lord. But when, Saul, uh, when Samuel didn't show up and Saul uh, didn't know what to do and the expected time frame had elapsed, Saul did the first logical thing that came to his mind. I'll offer up the sacrifice myself. And isn't that what we do? We're going to point of desperation in our life. What do I do? I don't know what to do. And we have the good intentions. We, we're, we're waiting on God. We've maybe even sought counsel. And it's that time of waiting. We're waiting for the Lord to speak to us. And we, we get to the point of God, uh, what do I do? What do I do? And then, then we begin to frustrate. And we begin to get uh, uh, stressed out. And we, we don't know how to handle then all of a sudden we just say, I'm just going to do this. And it's the wrong decision. Man, as I looked at this, I thought about just a little over, well, just a little over a year ago when Pastor called and, and asked me if I would come out here and join the staff. And I asked him for some time to to make the and, um, as I as I went through that time, day after day, the decision wouldn't come. And I told him I would call him back in a certain day that I would, Back in a certain, and um, it got to be that day, and I still didn't know the answer. You can ask my wife. Didn't know the answer. Woke up in the work th- that day to go to work, and I didn't know the answer. All day at work, man, I got a call. I got to give an answer today. And um, the day goes by and still nothing. I'm driving home from work and I'm 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 talking to Brother Runyon on the phone and and I hang up with him and. And then I'm just driving and I'm like, Lord, I I just need to know. The whole time, to be honest with you, I was kind of leaning. I I didn't know, so I was going to lean with a no. I was going to say no. Not because it didn't look good, not because it didn't sound good, just because I didn't have peace, I didn't know. And all of a sudden, it was just perfect peace came across my mind, came across my heart, and God said, "This, this is it. What are you waiting for? This is, this is the right thing. But you know what? It just took me waiting a little bit. God just wanted me to wait a little bit more, not to make a decision on my own, not to uh, make the logical decision that I thought would be logical, just to wait a little bit longer. Let him reveal himself to me and say, this is what I want for you. And uh, man, it's, it's amazing when you wait on God and he gives you the answer. This past year has just been amazing in my life wouldn't change it for the world, the things that I've learned, the experiences that I've gained. It's, it's awesome when you wait on God. You know what? Sometimes we want to do what's logical in our mind. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 is very clear that, uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. You know what? We think to be the logical or the most reasonable uh, way or decision it often is not. God's train of thought couldn't be any more different than a human's train of thought. We think with a finite mind, He is infinite. Amen. All right, And it's important for us to realize, we've got to trust God's timing. Often because we don't know what is going on, and we want to know what's going on, we just try to take things in our own control, under our own control. We don't completely understand a situation, or how the what the outcome is going to be. And so we just want to take matters under our own power, and say, I'm going to get myself through this. But what happens when we do that is we make a decision with head knowledge rather than making a decision with discernment. Discernment is revealed knowledge. God gives us discernment through His Word. He reveals truth to us And we make decisions based upon what that is discernment. But what happens is uh, we say, well, this makes sense to me. I'm going to make this decision. Uh, Here's all the pieces. They fit together. It looks good in my mind. Let's do it. But God might have said, hey, here's the way that I want you to go. Here's my revealed truth. Just like Saul. God had already told Saul, hey, that's not your job to offer up the sacrifice. And if Saul had used discernment, he would have not have made this wrong decision, but he used his own knowledge, what he thought to be the reasonable response, and he made the wrong one. It's the responsibility of every Christian to live with discernment. First Thessalonians chapter five teaches us that we need to live with discernment in our life. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him in His time frame? You know what? He may just want you to wait just a little bit longer. Yes, it's frustrating waiting. It's frustrating. You think about where Saul was at. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do with his men. He didn't know what to do with himself. For all he knew, he was going to die. It was life or death situation for Saul. He got frustrated. He got stressed out. He said, you know what? I'm just going to solve this myself. But God wants us... To trust in him. God wants us to wait upon the Lord. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we are impatient and distrusting that God has the situation under control, we're using a lack of discernment. And we need to be discerning as Christians. And what happens is we get impatient and we want to make the decision right away, and we go into the old phrase of haste makes waste. And we rush into something doing what seems right to us, and it's wrong. As Christians, we must learn to wait, but not just to wait, to wait with patience. God's got a timing for everything. We need to learn to to wait with patience. See, everybody waits, everybody's going to wait in life. It's how you wait that makes the difference everybody's going to have to wait for something. You're going to have to wait in the grocery line. You're going to have to wait at the shopping mall. Uh, you're going to have to wait on an answer from God. You're going to have to wait on people to do things for you. Everybody waits. But how we wait is what makes the difference. You have two choices when you wait. You can either uh, wait with patience the right way, or you can wait with impatience the wrong way. When you wait the wrong way, uh, you're miserable. You can't tell me that's not true. When you're waiting and you're just nipping at the bit, chomping at, I can't wait, get this done. And you're going at it. You're going crazy. And, And all of a sudden, you're just stressed out. You're frustrated. Why can't I get this done? Nothing's falling into place. Come on, God, give me a hand here. I can't get this accomplished. And you're just miserable. That's how most Christians wait. How do you know that? Because that's how I wait. Most Christians, we wait that way. We make ourselves miserable waiting. But there's the right way to wait. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. James chapter 1 verse 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When you wait the right way, patiently, you will become perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You will have a sense of peace that passes all understanding. There will not be that nagging that gnaws at you. When you completely place your trust in God, saying, God, I'm waiting on you. I know exactly, I know that you know exactly what's going on and you have a time frame for all of this. Lord, I trust and I commit myself to your hands and you wait on the Lord that way. You will have peace instead of misery. You will have contentment instead of conflict. It's important that you wait upon the Lord in the 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 right way, the right manner. Think about Saul. He did wait. He waited for Samuel. He waited seven days for Samuel. But it just wasn't long enough. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He waited on God. He waited on the man of God, but he still still did not have an answer. He was frustrated, and he made a decision out of his impatience, out of a lack of discernment, to do what made sense to him instead of continuing to wait. If Saul had just waited, the whole outcome of the the Old Testament would have changed. David wouldn't have been the next king. Jonathan would have been. And that would have changed the structure of everything, all right, if he had just waited. God has a perfect plan. Wait on him. Wait on him. The second thing I want to notice this evening is sometimes waiting on God's timing will bring us down a path that causes us to trust God with what seems impossible. Sometimes waiting on God's timing will bring us down a path with trusting God with what seems impossible. And as I looked at this passage this evening, we definitely see something impossible, don't we? We see the impossible. Jonathan and his armor bearer. You think about what Jonathan and his armor bearer were uh, about to do. We read the story of how Jonathan and his armor bearer scaled that cliff. How they began to defeat that Philistine army. Two men. If that wasn't impossible enough, just those two men against an army of 36,000 plus, it was just two men with one sword. Two men with one sword. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20, the Bible makes it very clear that the Philistines had driven out all the blacksmiths of the land because they didn't want the children of Israel to have a sword to fight them. And so Jonathan and his father Saul were the only two men of the children of Israel that had a sword. And we see here in this impossible task that was about to take place that Jonathan and his armor bearer. A man with a sword and a man who was just simply carrying a shield went out to conquer this army. Two men and one sword. Think about the impossibility of what was about to take place. The impossibility. First Samuel chapter 14, verse 6, it says, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go, or, go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Look at this last phrase. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. When it came to the impossible task before them, Jonathan stepped out in faith and trusted God and he said, Hey, armor bearer, I don't know about you, but I don't think God needs a whole army to conquer the Philistines. I don't think God needs uh, everything um, that we think He needs. We think He needs. Sometimes we think God has to have it a certain way to get things accomplished. No. The only thing God has to have is somebody who's willing to trust somebody, some person that's willing to trust. And Jonathan steps out and says, Armor bearer, I don't know about you, but I think God can deliver the the Philistines into our hands, just me and you. What do you think? And the armor bearer turns to Jonathan and says, Do whatever on your heart. I'm right behind you. I've got your back. I think you're right on the, the right path. And these two men scale the cliff. You think about the impossibility of this. I can just imagine uh, what was uh, ringing in the mind or racing through the mind of Jonathan as he began to approach the enemy camp. Uh, It was probably something along the lines of, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I can just imagine what was running through his mind uh, as he revealed himself to the enemy, waiting to see how they respond. Uh, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I can just imagine what was running through his mind as he came to that narrow strip of land where he would fight the enemy. As he scaled that cliff and, and as, as he threw down a man and his armor uh, bearer stabbed him, killed him, did whatever. I can just imagine what was running through these, the minds of these two men as they scaled that cliff and uh, performed a great miracle on the behalf of the Lord. I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for me? I can imagine as they stood there in amazement looking at the men that they just killed, and then the whole army of the Philistines who were now bewildered, who were now striking out against themselves, who were killing each other, I can imagine as these two men stood in that little narrow piece of ground after they had scaled that cliff with the bodies of the Philistines gathered around about them on the, on the ground as they looked and the army of the Philistines was destroying themselves. I can only imagine what was ringing through the minds of these two men. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You know, we think we've got impossibilities in our lives. We think we've got things that we're not sure that God can accomplish or that we can accomplish. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You can imagine as that note rang through their minds, as two men with one sword scaled a cliff and fought the enemy. What is the impossibility in your life? What's the thing that just seems, seems insurmountable? Is it your health? Is that health thing just, just driving you nuts? How am I going to get through this? Is it maybe the health or the passing of a loved one? I can imagine John and the, and the stress of his mom and not knowing from day to day if she's going to make it. The impossibility of her survival, quadruple bypass with double valve replacements. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is any hard for me? I think about a a one and a half year old girl, pastor friend of mine, who just a few weeks ago had 94% leukemia in her blood and the children of God began to pray. And she has 6% leukemia in her blood. This is after a remission and then it coming back. And usually once it comes back in a baby, it never goes away. I am the Lord. The God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. Is it your job situation? Is it your finances? Is your marriage in disarray? Is it just bickering and fighting? And What's the impossibility in your life? Because I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? When it comes to the impossible tasks, uh, we try to reason our way through them. We try to uh, come up with what makes sense to us and how it's going to be resolved and what the solution will be and... Sometimes God just wants us to say, you know what, God, I trust you. There is no restraint with the Lord. He can deliver with a few. He can deliver with many. I trust God. And we see that from Jonathan and his armor bearer as they faced an impossible task. God came through. God came through. Sometimes God will lead you down a path that just seems absurd. Impossible. In that situation, the most absurd thing you can do is forget the God who brought you there. Remember that He is the Lord. He is the great I Am. He is the God of all flesh. He's not a a local God. He's not an idol. He's not a created uh, fantasy. He is the I am. He is the Lord God. We've got to remember when these impossibilities come that we don't pray to a a person, an individual with limited strength. We pray to the omnipotent, the all-powerful, the almighty. I read this phrase in a book and it was just astounding to me and amazing. Yes, it says, He is the God who sometimes calls us to invest in the impossible, to trust for the ridiculous and to wait for the miraculous. He says to you too, yes, my child, I am calling you to do which I have shown you. It seems impossible, but remember who I am, the Lord. Is there something that you're going through right now that just seems ridiculous? It seems impossible. It seems that the only way out is a miracle. Remember the one who brought you into that. Remember the one who brought you there. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. You know, if we could orchestrate our lives just perfectly, we would have no need for God. If we could make everything just the way that we thought would be right, uh, we wouldn't need God. If, If our plans were doable, we wouldn't need God. But none of that's true. We can orchestrate our lives. Our plans aren't doable because they're thought of in our minds, what we think is right, rather than the plan that God has orchestrated for our lives. I want us to remember this evening, when it comes to the impossible, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? There's impossibilities in every single one of our lives. Every single one of us will face an impossibility. How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond with our reasonable response? What we think should be the response? What we think should be the conclusion or the action needed? Are we going to respond with, there's no restraint with the Lord? I'm going to put my faith and trust in Him. Yes, it may take some patience, it may take some waiting but I'm going to trust that God has got the impossible under control. When you trust God's timing and you trust God for the impossible, we learn in this passage here that we will triumph, triumph through his strength. We will triumph through his strength. In First Samuel chapter fourteen, in closing, First Samuel chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. And I'm going to just go. You don't have to. You can just listen if you would. I'm going to skip around a few verses here. I'm going to start in verse fifteen and read up to twenty three, hopping around a little bit. There was trembling in the hosts, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, uh, they also trembled in the earthquake. So it was a very great trembling. This is taking place after Jonathan and his armor-bearer had killed the 20 soldiers of the Philistines. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. They went out beating down one another, and behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about even, they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in the Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. Man, as I wrapped up this story and I thought about, man, God's got a timing for everything. God can handle the impossible. Man, look at the victory that when we follow God's plan. The triumph through His strength. We see here in this passage that as Jonathan and his armor bearers stood on that ridgeline with sword in hand, shield in hand, um, freshly covered, I'm sure, with the blood of their enemies standing there, and then they look up and they see that the earth is trembling. And they see that there, there is great discomfiture That the enemy is confused, they're all discombobulated, they don't know what's going on. They've turned one against the other, and they begin to kill each other. And not only that, you know what, all those Israeli uh, soldiers that had went and hid in the cracks, and the crevices, and behind the bushes, you know what happened to them? You know what happened when they saw the triumph that was taking place? Oh man, they began to crawl out from the cracks, they crawled out from the cave, they came out from behind the rocks where they had hid, because they were afraid of what God's plan was. Man, I don't know about you, but it excites me to see. We know what happens when we follow God's plan for our lives, when we're patient and we wait on His timing, but even when the time, thing looks impossible, even when we're waiting and we say, you know what, I'm going to trust God for the impossible, that He will triumph in our lives. And people around will see it and fear and know that it was the Lord. And we see here in this passage, man, it, it, I literally have chills right now. These men, I can just picture them crawling them out, of, crawling out of these cracks, crawling out of the caves, looking at what the Lord had just accomplished on that hilltop—the impossible. The impossible. It didn't occur to me until just right now what I just said. Look what the Lord had just accomplished on that hilltop—the impossible. Right on the other side of town here. You know, there's going to be people that crawl out of cracks and caves and from behind the bush when that happens. Amen. Triumph through his strength. Triumph through his strength. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The next time you're growing impatient, I want to encourage you this evening to remember I want to encourage you this evening not just to remember this story, but remember Daniel as he spent the night in the lion's den. You don't think he got a little impatient as he was being stared down by the hungry lions? God had a plan. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they walked around in the fiery furnace. You don't think that made them a little uncomfortable? God, you really think that we need to stay in here any longer? It's getting a little hot. We're under a little pressure. It's getting a little difficult. God has timing. God has a plan. Remember David as he waited on direction from the Lord over and over and over again. Remember Jacob. Remember Jacob as he spent years, years after years in servitude Imprisoned, waiting on God, waiting on the purpose that God had for his life. Time, 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 time he spent waiting. You don't think along that way that Jacob was saying, that, God, I really don't want to spend any more time in this prison. God, I'm, I'm tired of this hole that my brothers threw me in. God, I'm, I'm tired of, of being the, the servant to Potiphar. You don't think you ever got impatient during that time? The next time that you're feeling impatient, you don't want to wait on God's timing and remember. The next time you're questioning the impossibility of a task, why don't you remember Gideon as his army began to shrink, but he would still conquer. Why don't you remember uh, David as he faced Goliath? Why don't you remember? The life of Saul from Tarshish, the man who persecuted Christians, converted to the apostle Paul. The impossibility. Think about the impossibility of what happened in his life. Remember Noah as he built the ark. The impossible. Remember Abraham as he was promised a child in his old age. The impossible. There's so many impossibilities in our life. But if we would just look at God's track record, it ought to help us to remember we can trust him. We can trust him. And whenever you start to waver, whenever you start to get weak because the impossibilities just seem too much to bear, remember. Remember Jonathan. Remember two men and one sword. God's timing is not our timing. But he's got a plan. What seems impossible to us is possible with God. And if we remember those two things, in the end, we will triumph through his strength. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening, if you would, if you'd all stand with me. I am the Lord out of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me?